I'm Brian Hu. I'm Ada Singh. And welcome to Saturday School. When your friends are watching Saturday morning cartoons, you're being forced to learn Asian American pop culture history. Welcome to the last episode of the season. Today we're going to start by talking about Shopping for Fangs, directed by Justin Lin and Quentin Lee. And then at the end of the episode, we're going to talk a little bit about what you can expect for next season. We'll be taking a little break for the holidays, but we'll be returning with an all-new season that we hope you'll join us for. We hope you don't drop out of school. We hope your parents force you to come back next time. We'll keep taking that tuition money. Why did we want to end with Shopping for Fangs? I think that Shopping for Fangs is a very historic film. They were first-time filmmakers at that point. They had met at UCLA Film School. I think it's one that a lot of people who have been following the career of Justin Lin probably have heard of, haven't seen, or they saw a long time ago and they can't find it again. Also, it's an early performance by John Cho, who a lot of people associate with Asian Americans that have found success in Hollywood. Sure, you can fight this thing, right? You kidding me, sir? This is before he had any success. Got to play the good-looking guy sitting at a restaurant. If you look at the DVD cover... It's actually just a picture of John Cho, which is kind of funny looking back because he's not really the star of the film. It's like the 1990s when there were a lot of these movies following Get Shorty and Pulp Fiction, where it's just multiple storylines intersecting in kind of a funny but also a little bit dangerous way. Like, how is this all going to intersect and possibly explode? And in this case, you have the story of a guy who likes a girl at work, nothing goes anywhere there, but he thinks he's turning into a werewolf. My hair seems to be growing pretty fast lately. Well, it's nothing that a shave and a haircut can't cure, break. Yeah, but I have to shave practically every hour. So that's one story. There's another one about a woman whose husband may or may not be cheating on her. What is wrong with you? And then there is the whimsical tale of a waitress who may or may not be in love with the John Cho character who shows up at her restaurants. The waitress has a blonde wig and sunglasses that she never takes off. What do you wear sunglasses all the time? I was born with them. Suppose you were born with your blonde wig, too. It seems like a nod to Chunking Express. It's gotta be, like, just knowing Quentin Lee's penchant for Hong Kong schlock. This came out, like, three years after Chunking Express, so before it was super obviously cool to mimic Wong Kar Wai. They're kind of flirting, and then at some point she tells him that she has a girlfriend and he has a boyfriend, so it's an interesting dynamic. So we never really quite know how these three storylines will link up. Part of the fun is trying to figure out how they all link up, but also part of the fun is that each of these three are tonally kind of different. You have the werewolf story, more on the odd fantastical side. You have this very overly serious husband and wife drama, and then you have this Wong Kar Wai-esque whimsical waitress and client game. And if you read about how they filmed it, they actually split up the work. So Justin Lin directed the werewolf story, and then Quentin Lee directed the waitress story. Yeah, knowing that in hindsight, you can kind of tell, of course, that's a Quentin Lee thing to do to mess around with identities and role playing and stuff like that. And of course, Justin Lin would be good at the weird genre things that will anticipate his future success in sci-fi. But really watching it, if you had no idea, it all fits so seamlessly together. And it's all done with this winking joy from beginning to end, regardless of which story they're in, which makes it such a great comedy. But you were telling me before that when you first watched it, you did not necessarily think of it as a comedy. Yeah, I probably took it a little bit too seriously when I was watching it. I was revisiting it years later, so I wasn't watching it thinking about Pulp Fiction. I think because there's so many 
uncertainties, which is something that they're playing with. They don't want you to know exactly what's going on. So, like, you know, during the story about the guy turning into a werewolf, I was very concerned about him. For you, was it ever undermined by the fact that it all looks so low budget to the point of you can't really take it that seriously? Because I feel like they were embracing that aesthetic, too. Mm, I don't know. I think maybe I've just watched enough low budget films that I can take things seriously, if, even if it looks low budget. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You don't have that? No, <laughs> I, I, unless yeah. it's like a Randall Park short, which brings us back to episode one where, you know, they have like mustaches that are clearly yeah. just taped on and not the right color. Well, um, with Randall Park, it's more like flagrantly just we're not even going to try. For Shopping for Fangs, it was like I think everyone knew like that's not convincing facial hair, but whatever. Let's go ahead with it. And if people find it funny, they find it funny. But it's also fantasy. So I'm not judging it by reality. I'm like, you know, yeah. how do I know if you turn into a werewolf, how your hair grows in? That's true. That's true. <laughs> like, just because it grows in and makes you look funny doesn't necessarily mean that you're still not turning into a werewolf. Werewolves may all look hilarious. Well, I will say <laughs> when I watch this movie, like every time I watch it, what still gets me the most is this great performance by Gene Chin at the center of it. It's one that's like kind of unnerving. You kind of underestimate it. Maybe that's part of the low budgetness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It goes in unexpected places and it actually is very effective in its surprise. But by the end, you realize there's great design to all of this. And it's a design that's very aware of genre conventions and performance style. So how does this film get talked about, you know, when it's written about in books? In Juno Kata's new book, she talks about it in terms of the way that Asian American cinema became very influenced by international styles. Mm -hmm. So in this case, the Hong Kong film. It's the Wong Kar Wai part, but also like John Woo and like just that, that whole period of when Hong Kong films are really hot. So that's one way of thinking about it. The way that I think it traditionally has been written about, the way like I continue to ask questions of the movie because I think it's so fascinating, is how the film is sort of about identity and about the instability of, am I a human or a werewolf? Am I straight or am I gay? You can have a lot of fun in trying to upend all of these categories and like resist the binaries of one or the other. And I think part of the film's comedy is like trying to test and trying to see what we're willing to believe in. I think for Asian American critics and scholars, it's very tempting to read that in terms of this is like a really fun version of identity politics and the identity film. And if so, I think that makes this a lot more fun than most identity films that were coming out in the 1990s, as opposed to just sitting around complaining about who am I? Yeah. And if nothing else, it's fun to watch John Cho from 1998. Looking exactly the same. In an ordinary world, the lives of a few people rarely get noticed. But it doesn't take much to change all that. Shopping for Fangs. Discover your dark side. Yeah, so I mean, like, just as it's so much fun to rediscover all these old comedies, I think we're ready to uh, move on. It was interesting to look back because nowadays people do kind of associate Asian Americans with comedy, Fresh Off the Boats and Dr. Ken. But also, if you look at the internet and, you know, all these internet comedians. But when you look back to film history, there's still not that much representation. For us, trying to find 10 films that we thought were really worth talking about. It wasn't automatic. We didn't have like a million great Asian American comedies to choose from as much as we wish we did. So next season, we were thinking of looking at a different genre, romance. Because there's a similar thing where on the internet with the popularity of Wong Fu Productions, which is all about these sweet, sappy romances, the younger generations probably completely associate Asian American entertainment, especially on YouTube, with these sweet romances. But if you think about the mainstream, bringing it back to John Cho, the fact that he was a romantic lead in a TV comedy, that was such a big deal that you realize like that doesn't happen that often. 
most films have some kind of romantic angle because just we as Americans feel like that's a default storyline or sub story that needs to be in every single movie. And typically in Asian American films, those have not been very believable or not very romantic. But we refuse to believe that that's all we've got. So we're going we're gonna to find these movies. For us, it's almost out of respect for the romance genre and romantic comedies. It's actually harder than you think to find two actors that have really great chemistry and can pull off that feeling, you know, and it's kind of hard to define. But by the end of the movie, you just know that they belong together. A lot has to go right for yeah, yeah. the chemistry work. So that's like the writing, the, the performances. And just as a teaser into next season, I think there's got to be hotness. So we will talk about that. <laughs> right, right. Who are the couples in the past, in all shapes and forms, that we really rooted for? Just like everybody can laugh at comedy, everybody can relate to the struggle to find somebody that might be a good match. We thank you for coming along on this 10-week journey with us. And until next time. Saturday School is a proud member of Potluck, a collective of podcasts that features stories and voices from the Asian American community. It's produced by me and Brian. Our logo is by Grace Talis Lee. Our theme song is courtesy of Rimsky Music and Premium Beat. We have a Tiny Letter newsletter that you can sign up for to get lecture notes. tinyletter.com slash Saturday School podcast. Or you can tweet us. I'm at Ada Singh, A-D-A-T-S-E-N-G, and Brian's at Who's Brian, H-U-S-B-R-I-A-N class will be resumed in the spring.